This episode of The Vincast, Australia's premier podcast about wine, wine culture and wine people, is proudly supported in part by Different Drop. Just like myself, Different Drop uh, love Australian wines of provenance, authenticity and innovation. And they've actually bought wines uh, for sale on their online wine store uh, from a lot of the uh, former guests of this very podcast. So what a fantastic way for you to uh, further the experience of listening to an episode uh, of a winemaker or someone representing a winery by then by going to the Different Drop website and actually purchasing some of the wines of that guest. Uh, and that way, you know, you can actually um, firsthand experience how great these wines are. Um, Different Drop are based in Sydney, but they can uh, ship wines all around Australia. And hopefully uh, some of you already have used their fantastic gifting service, uh, certainly for Christmas. Uh, uh, but if not, uh, I strongly recommend going to differentdrop.com forward slash intrepid wino. It's a special section of the website that the guys at Different Drop have set up for uh, myself to uh, show all the wines of uh, that they have available from the guests of this very podcast. So you can actually put together your own kind of mixed case. Uh, and actually taste the wines yourself. And don't forget that you can actually buy some of the Let's Taste Live uh, packs on there. Uh, if you've already seen one of the videos or for any of the upcoming videos, get onto the Different Drop website, buy one of those packs, and you can actually taste along with us as we uh, look at some amazing wines. So thank you, Different Drop, for your support of this podcast, and thank you guys for listening to another episode. Episode 76, part one of the Vincast, I chat with Nathan Reeves, one half of the Out of Step Wine Co. based in the Yarra Valley. there, Vincasters, and welcome to another episode of The Vincast. My name is James Scarsbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino, and I've got another very special uh, couple of episodes for you. Uh, I was actually uh, contacted by the guys from the Out of Step Wine Company, uh, who I met uh, a number of years ago. Uh, they actually saw my video on the Intrepid Wino YouTube channel tasting a bottle of their uh, Chardonnay, which I bought myself and simply loved. And um, so they, they kind of wanted to, to uh, sort of offer me the opportunity to taste some more wines. And I said, look, I'd, I really would prefer to have you guys on the podcast so that you can actually share your story because uh, I found, um, you know, the wines are fantastic. And I certainly myself wanted to find out more about these guys. So what I'm actually doing is for this week only as a special Christmas uh, gift to you, uh, I'm releasing a two-part episode. So you're actually going to listen, uh, hear from the two guys behind Out of Step Wine Co. Uh, on two separate episodes this week. So this is uh, the first part and it is with Nathan Reeves. So uh, Nathan is originally from uh, WA uh, and has a, a you know a really amazing winemaking career, uh, certainly in Australia, and and 
had a bit of a muso background. So um, please do listen to this episode and then make sure to stay tuned out for part two of this episode so you can hear from the other half of the Outer Step Wine Co. So I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. I'll see you on the other side. Nathan, thank you very much for coming down to uh, the unofficial uh, Vincast headquarters on a very, very steamy Saturday afternoon. Uh, and thank you for your time. Thanks, James. So, um, uh, as I was mentioning, uh, every episode I, I like to start uh, by asking my guests if they can remember uh, what their first interaction with wine was that actually set them on the path uh, and wanting to pursue, I, I guess, a, a life in wine, really, because you, you don't switch off, you don't, you, know, you don't clock off. Wine is something that, in, in, you know, engulfs us all. I, I would think you would agree. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember it very, very clearly, actually. It's, uh, I mean, I'd obviously... Like, I know most people in the industry drunk a lot of wine and it was probably five or six years before I had that one wine that kind of really set me on the path. How, how did you end up in circles where you're drinking a lot of wine? Because, you know, before I started working in wine, I wasn't really drinking wine with people apart from my family. Uh, well, I was working in, in bars and restaurants. Right, okay. So, you had just, a hospitality yeah, After work. Sure. Um, and, and also w- wanting to talk about the wines with customers well i wasn't like i enjoyed it but i wasn't into it like i am now but i wanted to understand it so i could pass that on to the people that um were drinking the wine where i was working so where were you working uh in perth uh is that where you're from yeah okay and then moved to st kilda uh via adelaide worked in a, a couple of pubs and bars in adelaide and then found ended up in Melbourne. Actually, was kind of travelling, playing music, and really uh, moving across to Melbourne with my band to come here and I don't know, and have a go at a, a music career. Yeah, uh, and hospitality is a is a good gig if you're in a band and if you. The only band I ever remember from Perth was Jebediah. Yeah, and that was when I when I was younger. They were um, up and coming and um, yeah, kind okay. of. Part of what got me excited about music was going and seeing bands like Jebediah and <laughs> when I was a kid, probably 10 years old, going to, um, yeah, Eskimo Joe, yeah, yeah, Jebediah. Cool. Uh, I don't know, there's, there's heaps of bands that I really like. Cinema Prague were one of my favourite Perth bands. And But how did you end up working in hospitality? Uh, I don't know. It was just a good part-time gig for wanting to surf during the day and I was at uni on and off doing various different degrees and uh-huh. um, and leaving them. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know, I like s- sleeping in. I'm not much of a morning person, okay. so it suited my natural kind of diurnal rhythm. Uh, and it was fun. Like I was really young and um, all my friends, I've worked in, in bars and restaurants with all my friends and I don't know, we'd, it was just, it's a really fun, easy gig and you Meet lots of interesting people, and how did you go as far as gigging? Because you know, I would think a lot of gigs would be on Fridays and Saturday nights, similar to working in hospitality. Um, just really good managers that yeah. were, in, I don't know, happy to to let me have the time off to do it. Yeah, lucky. Uh, so yeah, then I so yeah, you ended up in the SB. <laughs> yes, I actually worked at the SB. <laughs> well, I would have guessed. <laughs> uh, that was I. Yeah, got off a taxi on Fitzroy Street in. Uh, St Kilda, and never been there before in my life. Never been to Melbourne, f- f- uh, and uh, yeah, walked 
the next day I stayed in a backpackers the next day, walked down the street and a few of those down at St Kilda. Yeah, popped into the SV and said, Are you looking for any bar stuff? And they said, Yes, you can start tonight and that's <laughs> it. And then worked at Dog's Bar, yeah, cool. uh, Veludo, uh, and a yeah, a few other places around town. And I was drinking more and more of wine, particularly I guess the dog's bar is a Mostly bar work, though? Yeah. yeah. Not less? A bit of fine dining here and there, but I'm a bit rough around the edges and didn't really suit me. (laughs) I I further kind of the the sweatier rock and roll pubs. (laughs) um, Yeah, and probably the the, yeah late night night drinking cocktail bars uh, were much more enjoyable. A different kind of intimacy. Yeah. So, so you were, were you working full time in hospitality or were you still pursuing the music uh, as still, you were living here? Yeah, playing music, playing gigs here and there. It honestly, it, it, it never really happened for us. I kind of just got set on a bit of a different path and that path had actually ended up becoming wine. Um, quite soon after moving to Melbourne, probably about, uh, 12 months after. So, so was it a uh, wine or was it? Yeah, with well, wine. well, my interest from uh, tasting wine at work um, was was growing, but I still didn't really understand wine. Like, I I didn't get it. I didn't get uh, what people saw in it until uh, it was Valentine's Day. Uh, it would have been maybe two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. I was with a friend. We were both dateless, <laughs> uh, so we just agreed to go out to dinner together and. Uh, we were at Yellowbird Cafe on Chapel Street and um, I just quit a job and got a bunch of holiday pay. So I had, I was cashed You're out. flush. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to get the most expensive bottle of wine that they've got there. Probably to that point was the most expensive wine I'd ever drunk and it wasn't that expensive. Yeah. It was, I think it was like 60 or $70. On a wine list. Yeah. So, uh, and it was a Jeff Merrill 2001 Reserve Cabernet. Is that does, does he release that late? Like yeah, with, with I think a he fair gives bit it of age on five it? or six years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was spectacular. It was such a beautiful wine. It was the first time I actually things in a wine like leapt out to me. Like I could kind of see beyond it. I could see its components. Um, and it was a really big step for me. Like I was all these flavors and characters were leaping out at me, and I started thinking about the acidity and the texture and the tannins and um, up until that point, wine had just been a, a, a glass of wine to me and it smelt and tasted like wine. Some was better than others, but that was about as far as it got. And this is where this wine, I started to see its, its, its components and start mm-hmm. to break it down and look at, uh, I kind of, um, was thinking about this a few weeks ago, actually. And I thought of a really good analogy for, um, for how I see wine now and it probably and it definitely links back to music or it, it actually does mm-hmm. it's like do you play a musical instrument i did when you know when, when i was particularly a teenager um well, I, I was a drummer and um so you, you're a rhythm you're the rhythm component of the yeah band. and before i started playing music kind of like before i started getting into wine like a song was just a song mm-hmm. like it's um you could you could enjoy it and interact with it and dance to it sort but, of look at it in a, in a superficial way at, yeah. at kind of what you're being presented and going to go oh yeah i enjoy this but without sort of thinking about the components i guess yeah definitely and then when i started learning the drums i would listen to songs to learn the drums to a song mm-hmm. and i started to single out the drum track just focus on it yeah and then once i could do that um and just listen to the drums in a song 
I could just listen to the bass in a song and just listen to the guitar or the vocals and I could kind of focus in on any of those instruments or the keys or... Uh, but also think about how they worked in with yeah. all the other elements as well. And so it was kind of like zooming into the song and like breaking it down and looking at its individual components. Yeah. Um, which before I started playing the drums, I, I just I don't know, never thought to do or, or wasn't able to do. Uh, and that's <clears throat> kind of like wine now is like I can look into it and break it down to all its individual components and think about different parts on it. And, in it and just look at them and then so, look at how they interact with each other and then how it all works together. So, um, you're talking for like from a winemaking perspective or are you talking about everything? Uh, just, just from a winemaking perspective yeah, okay. and, and, and tasting too. And that first wine was the first, probably the first step towards um, developing that now. It was like actually looking beyond it being just a wine or just a song and looking at its parts. And yeah. It's, I guess, its components. And, yeah, yeah. Um, at the same time as tasting that wine, I was thinking about going back to university and I actually wanted to go and study photography. Um, I wanted a job I could travel with and um, that was creative and, and fun. I didn't want to be in an office. I didn't want to sit at a desk. Um, and then it, that kind of got me thinking about wine. I was like, wine, I don't know, I can work outdoors. It's, it's creative. It's, um, there was just, I can travel with it. Sure, sure. Um, there were so many appeals and, I think it was about a week later I enrolled in university and off I went. Well, it's funny you talk about that because um, my guest two episodes ago, I think, uh, Anna Martins, you know, she had a, she, she studied at, at, at Adelaide Uni and, and she's worked vintages, you know, all over Europe and I think in South America as well. And, and what I said to her was that a winemaking qualification, a winemaking experience is a passport. You know, you can go and get jobs in some of the most amazing places in the world um, and use that as an opportunity to travel and, and experience and learn. So, so you kind of thought of doing the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I did. Um, haven't been to Europe, but uh, it's, yeah, definitely on the list. It's kind of hard finding time with the label, um, getting as busy as, as it is. But I spent it's three like, half- It's like having a family, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, I have responsibilities here. Damn yeah. it. <laughs> uh, but amazing. But, yeah, it's kind of- it's it's getting harder and harder to get away for longer periods of time, but I have done three harvests in California and oh, there you go. Loved every minute of that and lo- loved the United States and uh, met my wife there and there you go. I, yeah, honestly, can't wait to go back. It's an amazing place. Um, so, but, so where where did you enroll at Charles Sturt? I uh, went to NMIT. Oh, which okay. I think is Out of now, Epping. Yeah, it's now Melbourne Polytechnic. Oh. Uh, which is a brilliant, brilliant course. I would highly rec- recommend it to anyone that's thinking about learning about wine. It's so practical and is everything that- I learned there I, I used and um, I think it's really good. And then I was two years full-time and then moved over to Charles Sturt to finish off, which is still kind of sort of happening at the moment. I haven't, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got the degree yet, but um, I don't know. It I honestly became less and less important getting – the degree because I kind of found like I was learning. Um, I don't. It wasn't teaching me to make the wines that I want to make. Sure. Yeah. Look. To be honest, and I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd learnt enough. A lot. A lot of previous guests uh, who've been on the podcast who've talked about studying at either Charles Sturt or Adelaide said, "Look, it was a fantastic grounding, and it gives you a really good understanding about 
um, the, the processes that you can use, but doesn't really teach you about the wines that you might want to make. You know, you, people who are making wines now look back at their studies and go, I didn't learn any of this here. I, I had to learn this myself, you know, talking with other people or, or, or just learning by doing. And so, you know, I'm sure that uh, you are not the only one who had that that kind of experience with the studies. Yeah, definitely. I think it's you want you want making. I think it might get a bit boring if you really kind of take all of that. I know they they probably don't expect their graduates to kind of go out and and follow what they've learned. No, it's vocational, like most but, yeah. like most university qualifications. It's it's designed to be vocational to basically just give you the ability to work in the job and the job as far as the Australian wine industry is concerned is is working for fairly large facilities definitely and it's probably homogenized a lot of the wines in Australia like a lot of people following the same kind of rule book and um, maybe it's one of the reasons why smaller producers are having much success they're kind of ignoring Absolutely. a lot of those rules and they're able to tell a different story as well mm. um, at the same time though I don't think Australia is the worst place for that if you like, if you want to taste wines that all taste the same, you go to places like Chile and Argentina and parts of Spain. You know, they they they're even more recipe based. Yeah, definitely. We at, least, at least there's a bit more originality in Australia, I think. Yeah, there's there's some tr- truly incredible wine in in Australia. I'm actually so so proud to be an Australian winemaker because there's so many um, guys and girls out there just killing it with these amazing like uh, expressive small batch interesting creative fun mm. quirky mm. um exciting wines it's a it's a really wonderful time to be making wine in australia can you remember what the first winery you actually visited was uh yeah probably winds in kunawara it was oh. actually on the way over to melbourne okay uh just kind of traveling working on farms and Found myself on a wine tour. One How long day. did it take you to get from Perth to Melbourne? Uh, it's been about three months. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it was an amazing trip. Yeah, no one would have. I never would have thought that traveling from Perth to Melbourne across the Nullarbor and um, it was in working in parts of rural South Australia, which is not the most beautiful countryside, but I had the most incredible time. It was such an amazing trip. And yeah, stopped it, managed to get to wins along the way. Before I was into wine, I, I would, yeah, it would love to go there now. Um, I really enjoyed the wines there, but I was still, a, yeah, very much a novice when it but, came to but wine. But this wasn't necessarily, this is before you had kind of made a decision about wanting to pursue a career, yeah. particularly as a winemaker. Yeah. This, this, yeah, this was a, a year or two before. Right. So it was when, when, when interest was being sparked in wine. Yeah, I, I knew nothing about it. So, what sort of practical experience did you get whilst you were studying, and or you know, was it not until after you'd finished the, the studies that you actually got the opportunity to start working in the winery? Uh, there was a lot of practical experience, for, like from the go, um, at NMIT. They've got a, a functioning winery there, mm-hmm. uh, and we're always encouraged to interact with um, the second, third year students um, and ask them about what they're doing. And there was university wines being made that we could go and talk to the winemakers about and and get involved and help out in the production process of them. Yep. So from the beginning, there was a lot of access to very, I don't know, very practical experience in there. Uh, and then we were given uh, two months off 
uh, at the, during vintage mm-hmm. to go and work. And I went back home to Margaret River and oh, okay. worked at Stella Bella. That was my first harvest. And then- Suck went- fizzle. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, honestly, that's actually the wine that inspired Out of Step to make Sauvignon Blanc. Really? Uh, I, yeah, I was fascinated by that wine. Sure. Um, I loved it and um, wanted to go and learn how to make it. Because so- you still don't see a lot of straight Sauvignon Blanc in the Margaret River. No, um, it's a lot of it's really good. It's, it's yeah, there's some brilliant stuff from there, but yeah, not much of it. And most mm. of it's kind of stainless steel and 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 made in a pretty down the line style. There's mm. there's very yeah, there's not a lot of the kind of funky textural barrel made stuff. It's not riesling. No. Riesling riesling does perfectly on its own, just in stainless steel. But Sauvignon Blanc just. It lacks something, I think, when mm. it's just stainless steel and no lees contact or skin contact or anything like that. Yeah, it just needs that bit of texture in there because it's got it's still got pretty powerful acidity and plenty of fruit. Yeah, and you probably want to yeah dull down the fruit a little bit with some uh, some oh, yeah, and oak and, off, offset that. Yeah, yeah, yeah balance well, it out. Yeah, one really wanted to learn how to make suck fizzle mm. and was looking for well had time off to get vintage and I called the winery, I think for about. Four months, um, well before, and they were taking any applications. Probably once every three or four weeks, and just asked them and said, "Are you hiring vintage stuff yet? Can can I have a job?" Eventually, they gave in and gave me the gig, and that was my first harvest. And then went back the following year because I loved it so much, and met a bunch of amazing uh, Americans, and they dragged me over to the states for my harvest over there, and all kind of eventually led to um, me meeting my wife, which is really. Cool. Um, so, how how did, did you meet her? Is she in in the wine industry, or is she from the wine industry over there? She is. She's. Uh, we worked in the Napa Valley together at a winery. Oh, really? Which one? Uh, Chateau Boswell. Okay. And Bevan Cellars. Uh, it's small, probably a hundred ton sort of winery. Mm. Um, quite extravagant, caves and all the all the best gear and. No, um, I was kind of astonished and a little bit disturbed actually yeah with the kind of money that there clearly is in the napa valley i still can't get over the the statistic that you know the napa valley is the second most visited tourist location in california behind disneyland well i didn't i didn't know that yeah i know some of the prices of the fruit over there and it's it coming back here it makes me feel very lucky and actually i think yeah a lot of the the great growers um, especially the quality of the fruit that they're producing over here could do with, with getting paid a bit more mm. per ton. Don't say it too loud. <laughs> Apologies, as always, for interrupting this fascinating Vincast chat. Oh. My apologies for interrupting another fascinating Vincast chat, but I wanted to share with you uh, another supporter of the podcast, which is Wine Companion. Wine Companion actually reached out to me a little while ago, uh, partly in an effort um, to support uh, wine communication, uh, particularly uh, innovative wine communication like uh, a wine podcast, but also because they wanted to reach out to uh, to more people to uh, get people to check out Wine Companion. Uh, wine Companion, for those who aren't aware, is a fantastic wine magazine that uh, comes out with really fantastic articles about wine, lots of tasting notes and reviews. But they also have an amazing resource on their website where you can access uh, a huge number of uh, 
of vintages uh, of different wines, find out um, how the vintages relate to each other, and get lots of information about uh, uh, you know thousands of wineries around Australia. So, uh, as a special treat for subscribers of this podcast, if you go to the Wine Companion website, which is winecompanion.com.au, uh, if you are wanting to subscribe to any package that they have, uh, if you put in the code Intrepid30, the guys at Wine Companion will give you a thirty percent discount, which is huge savings. It's a fantastic opportunity that uh, I do suggest checking out. And uh, thank you very much, Wine Companion, for uh, putting out such amazing content and supporting uh, the Vincast. Uh, and so, so what was it like working vintage over in uh, in California? Was it was it very different to the experience you had working at Zalabella? Uh, uh it was as much fun. It was a definite. Did you ever look at something that they were doing and sort of go, "Why are you doing that? That's a weird thing to do." Uh, they use a lot of dry ice, like constantly. Uh, they don't use as much sulfur. They don't acid adjust as much as we do. They use, uh, if you're high alcohol wines, um, if yeah, <laughs> it will. Where I was working a lot, even the Pinots were very high alcohol. Uh, if you acid adjust to for kind of microbial control, like we're taught at university to do, that acidity clashes with the alcohol, and you get really unbalanced wines. And the alcohol um, at higher uh, volumes kind of sits in the same spot on your palate as the acidity does, so mm. it kind of fills that gap. Sure, you don't need it, and they manage that microbial risk in other ways by um, using chemicals that we we don't use. And yeah. Uh, I don't know some people use 100% new oak for because they I don't know, don't want to to reduce the risk of brett and then they um, rack and return barrels individually so that nothing's made as a single batch until very close to bottling and then the wine's treated with some some more stuff that kills everything and um, probably shouldn't be talking about this but um, I don't know. I'm sure people are listening and want to learn about how wine's made and that's how some wine is made. Uh, well, you know, obviously with my recent experience up at Roostock, people are very interested to sort of know what is being done to the wines they're drinking. You know? And so it's all well and good to say, oh, we haven't done anything to it. It's like, okay, but what are the other ones having done to them? That's more important to know, if anything. And so, you know, if if people are doing adjustments and stabilizations and stuff like that, it's worth knowing. Yeah. I think I'm really glad that I know how well we don't do any. Are we any, talking about reverse osmosis? No, nah, it's all oh, there's, there's a, a, a chemical. It's actually used in soft drink production. Uh, and soft drinks obviously got sugar in it. So if it's not completely sterile or juice, like any, any kind of packaged juice, if there's, I don't know, the, tiny amount of yeast cells in there it'll ferment and explode so these products have to be sterilized and they use the chemical uh called velcron i don't know what the makeup of this chemical is but it um basically kills everything and then it but it breaks down very very rapidly in about 15 or 20 minutes it it breaks down to tiny amount of carbon dioxide and methanol and methanol is in every wine so what's left in that wine is you would kind of say natural because there's methanol and everything at low levels and um 
much there's probably much more natural methanol in a fermented product than uh, would have been added to it and CO two. So the the argument is it's 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 safe to drink. There's there's yeah yeah CO two and yeah and small amounts of methanol and in all of these fermented products, but uh, I don't know. I think you should just be able to do it without it. I think it's a bit. Um, I think it's just a, a bit of a cop out, really. Mm. Like you can make amazing wine with very minimal additives, and um, but I know I know about all of these. I learned about them all at university, and I know why people do them. Yeah, of course. Uh, and I can see why they do it, and I'm really glad that I do because it. I don't know. It's kind of I always describe it as like know your enemy like no well it's good to know why yeah. you don't do it exactly or, or how you can avoid it yeah you know where how you can work so that you don't need to do it so um at what point did you kind of come back to australia looking for a i don't know a steady gig uh actually sorry you didn't you didn't you didn't explain how you met your your wife oh uh, yeah we just working. worked in a cellar together and uh, after three months of harvest, I eventually wore her down and convinced her that I was all right. And uh, I think the last week of harvest, we uh, got together. And is she yeah. from? Is she from California? Yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, we worked, went back and worked together again the following year. And now we both now we live together out in the Yarra. Mm-hmm. And, um, love to go back to the states and do a, a more I don't know and. and Make some wine over there too, be it for out of step or I don't know, with some friends or or maybe even get a full time job over there for a year just to experience it some more. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So, so you ended up back in Australia? Yes. How long ago? Uh, well, I was just doing harvests over there. So I would leave in August, come back in November yeah. every year. Uh, but I didn't go this year. I was just too busy and got to have a full-time job uh, outside of out of step. And uh, As a winemaker? Yes. In the Yarra Valley? Yep. Okay. Uh, so, so, but you, so you haven't been necessarily yep. up until sort of this year. This Was this year the first year that you've sort of been here permanently? Uh, yes. It's for, first um, spring I've spent in the Yarra um, since I moved here, which was really cool. Uh-huh. So obviously spent... Um, time living in Melbourne and studying before that, but it was, yeah, I'd, I'd always miss the growing season, uh, which is really exciting to yeah, see. And yeah. now that we're uh, working a vineyard, it was pretty important to be here for that too. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's not much time for anything anymore. So how did you kind of, uh, how, how did the out of step story begin for you? Um, well, I just really, I wanted, just wanted to make some wine and then, uh, I guess, like a lot of winemakers with their their projects on the side, there are you are limited to making wine in a particular way at your full time job. Sure, um, but not not for any bad reasons. Um, just that's just the way it is. Like you you got to produce your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to produce a, a product for the the company that you're working for. That's that's sound and in the same way that you can't go to the university and say this is how this is the kind of wine I want you to teach me to make. No. Yeah, and so the the brand or the first batch of wine that I made started from just wanting to do it my own way and like yep. and without all of those constraints of a of a that that having to produce a commercial wine puts on you it's um 
So, and yeah, wanted to, to make it in the style and with the, without any, without adjusting acidity and fining and filtering and doing all those things because I, I don't, I believe that would make a more interesting wine. And it was more, more of a, like a romantic view of wine that I had before I started studying. Like it's, think of wines made in a really beautiful and honest way. It just mm. has, it just kind of naturally lends itself to that. And then when you learn about how a lot of it's made, you learn that a lot of it isn't. And it's, it's kind of manipulated into a, into, I don't know, it's, there's, the wine is like an end point and you're kind of pushing it into that end point. And I lost that romanticism about wine when I learned that. And I wanted to kind of, make my own to let go and let it become something and make it in that way that I just thought wine was made before mm. I learned about making it. Um, and so that's why, why I did it. But to be able to make a wine like that, you know, you need to have the right fruit. You yeah. Need to have fruit that's, that's grown well and similarly has had, you know, very little to no additions and subtractions. So how did you kind of sort of source that fruit for that first wine? Uh, you, you definitely need premium fruit to make wine in, in that way. Uh, just looking around the valley, asking friends, um, drove around, tasted a lot of wine and kind of narrowed it down to um, Upper Yarra. Just I really loved the um, natural acidity that, was retained in Sav Blanc up there at, at the ripeness that I kind of like to drink it at too. Mm -hmm. I really love that really powerful acidity. I don't like it to be too tropical. I still want some of those. I want it to be floral and citrusy and uh, a bit more savory. And, uh, yeah, Upper Yarra just seemed perfect and, um, yeah, managed to uh, find Lusatia Park through a recommendation of a friend and obviously it's got a pretty good reputation uh and all the stuff up there was available no one was i don't think anyone had taken it for a little while and uh so yeah sold some furniture and a bicycle and downgraded my car and scratched together about seven grand for a few barrels and a ton and a half of fruit a tank um rented a truck and went out and picked it up and uh and yeah that that was the, the start of it, pressed it straight to barrel basically and let it ferment, topped it up, uh, tasted it every month for about six months and looked good to bottle and racked it to bottle. No, that, that was the first wine. Uh, and I, I, I honestly didn't think it was any good. Like it was like I didn't – I was so involved with this wine, like I – cared about it so much that I couldn't like I I always described it as the ugly baby like to me it was like the most beautiful thing in the world but to everyone else like it could have been like an ugly baby like I I don't know it's um I think I think that's like the Meryl Streep effect because Meryl Streep continually wins or gets nominated for Academy Awards, goes up and goes, oh, no, I don't deserve this. Oh, no, was I good in this? Oh, I don't know. You sort of, you know, you, you're your own uh, harshest critic, I think. Yeah, and I've definitely moved on from that now. Now I, I know when our wines are good and <laughs> now I love them all and i like, that's that's fucking awesome. I love that wine. That's 
and yeah, definitely. So with that first wine, did out of step exist at that point or did you kind of go, okay, now what am I going to do with this wine? Pretty much out of step definitely didn't exist. The wine did and it was bottled uh, and there was a couple of pallets of it there. And this was around about sort of when I ran into Dave again, we actually studied at university together. Yeah. He was working in the Yarra too and we uh, caught up at the pub for a pint and um, uh, we're talking about making our own wine and Dave said that he wanted to make some too and, yeah, two pints later, Out of Step was was born and uh, Dave had the name. I really liked it and got a label designed by a friend of Dave's and slapped it on the bottle and off we went. So you, so you had the wine to sell. Yes. Uh, out of Step was created. Yep. Let's take it out there. What were the first impressions? Uh, of the wine or? Well, I know that uh, people, I think Max Allen wrote something about it initially, maybe. Was it yeah, we actually got, we got a lot of amazing press from it, uh, which is truly thankful for. That was, I don't know where we would be without um, some of the wine writers giving it the praise that it that they did. Yeah. Uh, but before, there was a couple of months before that when we were out sort of trying to sell this wine. I was a seller hand at a at a, a, a large winery. Uh, we didn't have any. We didn't have a name for ourselves. I didn't have a name for myself as a winemaker. Uh, I was a, a young guy, um, unshaven. I was walking around in board shorts and flip flops, trying to pedal this. I don't know this this bottle of Sav Blanc from the Yarra Valley, and the, the uh, reception of it was pretty poor from most people. It was a real slog for the first few months to to get it into some some places and start selling it. I think but- it's interesting now if you look at the the market, you know, in places like Melbourne and Sydney, if you had a if you had brought that out that wine out now, they would have just gobbled it up straight away. But even sort of 3 3 or 4 years ago, yeah, Sav Blanc was pretty uncool and uh, and yeah. But but that approach to wine as well, that kind of garagist, you know, less is more style. I think it's like, oh, okay, I'm not sure about this wine. That's probably would have been, you know, the much more common impression. Whereas now it's like, oh, you've you've done it in this style, cool, yeah, yeah. Later on, me, okay, how much can I get? Yeah, it's it's de- definitely changed pretty pretty quickly out there. And um, as a drinker, it's it's a yeah, incredible to be out there. And it's a golden age, I think. Yeah, yeah, Melbourne and Sydney, like it's yeah, going out. Going out for a glass of wine is, is, is we're truly blessed at the moment. There's, yeah. there's an abundance of amazing, interesting wine from from all over the world and from from Mornington, Sunbury, Geelong, Yarra, all, all around us, all around Melbourne. It's now I'm not sure if it was that that Sauvignon Blanc that I, the the one that I tasted several years ago the first time. It was I think that was the only wine you had, but. When I recently uh, grabbed a bottle of uh, Le Chardonnay um, from from a, a, my local retailer and uh, and did a, a tasting on my YouTube channel, and I went to the to the website, I sort of realised there's a few more wines now. There's quite a few. So how how did kind of the 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 range of wines grow from there? Uh, well, it started from us. We just wanted to make wines. That we wanted to drink so we i don't know it's kind of we never early on it it didn't it 
wasn't like we should make this because we think it's going to sell really well. It's like we should make this because it's delicious and we want to drink it. Uh, and it just kind of grew out of that. We just made wines that we wanted to drink or made wines in ways that we wanted to make them. And it, mm. we just kind of, I don't know, followed. It was a, a bit of the opposite, really. It wasn't market-driven. It was kind of driven by our own desires for what we we wanted to drink and explore too. And Did you go and seek the fruit or did the, the fruit come to you? Uh, we probably, I don't know, some amazing fruit has kind of um, come we, we've come across by having a beer down at the pub in Hillsville with some of the great growers around town uh, and some we've really sort of sought out and harassed the the owners of the vineyard for for months and months and months on end to eventually eventually they've given in and and allocated us some fruit so yeah some sort out some some we've kind of come across and mm. some has been recommended by friends and um, some vineyards we've really loved and had an eye on for a long time and when some fruits come available at them we've we've jumped on it as quickly as we could so yeah oh uh also with the reason why we we're not just a yarra producer is we um we're happy to find a region that we think is better suited to a variety or a style that we want to make so we we kind of yeah definitely like to explore um, regret it during harvest when we're driving for seven hours round trip, but but it's worth it when when we. This is two of you. At least yes. Two of you. Yeah. You got someone to talk to, on the long drives. Yep. Now, m- most there's been a lot of like late night trips. I I've been sampling vineyards with my with the camera. Sorry, with the 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 flashlight on my phone around 11 p.m. in the rain <laughs> before and yeah it's um it's but it's amazing I, I don't i've never had a, a bad moment making these wines it's all it's all fun no matter how tired and how kind of pushed to the limit that you get during vintage it's all it's all amazing when you look back on it yeah and it's exciting to sort of um see where out of step is is heading you know I, like I, I feel like i just sort of blinked and all of a sudden there's all these other wines that i uh i'm very keen to try more of uh and it sounds like you know there's there's going to be some other stuff in the pipeline uh maybe even some uh out of step american wines who knows possibly it's it's something we've chatted about here and there never seriously yeah it's always just been an idea um but yeah there's no plans for it but maybe one day there could be some, yeah, could be some Naf- out of step Sonoma or Napa or Santa Barbara or, yeah. I, I reckon that'd be a little bit more expensive, but uh, <laughs> hopefully mm. it'd be worth it. Yeah. It, I think we haven't even started looking into the um, logistics and the <laughs> financial impact of making one over there and getting it back here. And yeah, the food miles on that, probably not. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's uh, plenty of, uh, of work to be done. Uh, in the lead up to the, certainly the next vintage, but uh, thank you very much, Nathan, for uh, for generously uh, giving me some of your time uh, in this you know beautiful summer summer heat. <laughs> Thanks very much, James. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, how can people uh, sort of stay in touch with uh, with yourself and Out of Step on uh, online on social media that kind of thing? Uh not too much social media. We are on there, but we're a bit slack with that. But definitely 
um, send us a tweet, send us an email or give us a call. If you're out in the Yarra and you want to taste some wine or even have a beer with us and talk about wine, feel free to give us a call or shoot us an email. There's, I think it's hello at outofstepwineco.com. Maybe .au, no .au. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, uh, but the website is out of out of wine uh, out, out of step, step wine co dot com dot com. Fantastic. Uh, but yeah, it, it, you can find us. We're out there. Instagrams. But during harvest, we definitely keep people up to date with what we're doing. Well, you, that you definitely know where where to find them uh, during that time of year. But uh, definitely head out to the Yarra Valley. Look, guys, you have no excuse. It's only an hour out of Melbourne, so uh, make that trip. And thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Vincast. I have been James Guestbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. Of course, you can follow myself on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Intrepid Wino. And on uh, Twitter, you can follow the podcast at the Vincast. Uh, of course, the um, Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash Intrepid Wino. And you can find links and photos there. Um, of the, the Intrepid Wino YouTube channel is where you find all my Let's Taste videos, including the original one that I mentioned at the start of the episode of the Out of Step Chardonnay. Uh, no doubt um, some future videos of tasting Out of Step wines. Uh, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Player FM, the Stitcher, the Podcasts app, any number of different apps or programs. Uh, because download uh, subscribing means that you can actually download the episode uh, and listen to it, uh, uh, you know, whenever you want to or as often as you want to. Uh, if you uh, do subscribe, please, please give me a rating and a review because uh, it is provi- it provides really fantastic feedback for myself about what you're enjoying or where you think I can improve the show. But also, it is uh, it's great uh, reference for any potential listeners, but more importantly, potential guests who you may want to hear from on the show. And if they hear that there is, if they can see that there's a very engaged uh, and supportive audience of the podcast, then it means they're more likely to be able to uh, come on the show. Of course, all that information is available at intrepidwino.com. Uh, every episode of the podcast, all of the uh, tasting videos, and lots of different writings that I've done in the past. You can read about my experiences. Um, thank you again to Nathan for being on this episode of the podcast. Please stay tuned for uh, part two of episode 76 of the Vincast with the other half of the Out of Step Wine Co., uh, which is Dave Chatfield. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, until next time, bye. <laughs>